I love how Doug calls my charcuterie boards charchicherie boards. <laughs> I love Doug's bear hugs that break your ribs. When I think about flip-flops, I think about Doug. Doug who? One of the things I love about Doug is just his positivity. He's amazing. He always helps me out. He brings me his high schoolers. He jumps in when I need him. Uh, I love Doug because he's like a giant daddy bear. Is that the guy that goes, dude? Whenever I come into the building, he's just like super excited to see me and, and you know, see what the day has in store for us. In the short time I've known Doug, he is probably one of the most thoughtful guys that inquires about anybody and everybody. Is that the guy that cooks stinky fish in the break room? His doodliness. I just love that Doug has a passion um, for teaching high school kids about Jesus. Is that the guy that eats his lunch out of a 10 gallon pot? I love that he wears flip-flops year-round. It doesn't matter summer, winter, rain. He helps with the kids. He's good at relating to the kids and really gets down their level and tries to understand what they're going through. Is that the guy that owes me money? He's just a rock star. He's always willing to put himself out there, always willing to lend a hand. Doug loves God. Working together with Doug has just been, it's been awesome. He's just a great guy. I don't know. So I didn't know they were going to do that. I, I, I'm glad they had the lights down at the five yesterday because I was like red. I'm like, I don't even know what to, I'm like a deer in the headlights. I didn't know what to say after that. But I, even this morning I got up, I was like, should I wear sandals? I was like, yeah, I'm going to stay true. So I do love those flip-flops. So, but I feel the love. How are you? Good morning. Merry Christmas. How, yeah, and Happy New Year. How, how was Christmas? Was it good? Yes. You know, uh, Christmas this year for us was extra special. It was actually uh, Jonathan's first Christmas. This is our, our son. He's seven months old. Yeah, first Christmas, which is great. I'm like rediscovering Christmas. And we have the same haircut too, which is also it's pretty nice, huh? And uh, we, something about him is, is, you know this if you're a parent, he, he could care less about the presents. He just wanted to eat the paper. Like that's it. So next year, no presents, just Christmas wrapping paper for Jonathan, and it's great. And so here, here's our, us Christmas morning, and uh, Lucy, on the other hand, she didn't really want the presents, she just wanted to open them. Like, it didn't matter whose presents they were, she was opening them up, and we didn't get to, uh, you know, anybody send out Christmas cards? Uh, I admire you people, because we, uh, we didn't, we took a picture and called it good, like that was it, that's as far as we got, so... But Christmas is great. I mean, it's a, it's a happy time of the year. It's an amazing time of the year. It, it feels like it used to be like a month, but now it's like two months of preparation. And it's so much. It's parties and white elephants and Christmas cards and what are we cooking and who's coming and how many people are going to be there and how many chairs do we set out and the questions, like, did you get your kids what they wanted or the Amazon wish list, is it all checked off? We're frantically checking our phones with the tracking numbers to make sure it's going to arrive just on time, right? And Christmas is like so much buildup, so much anticipation, and then boom, it's gone, right? And everything's, the Christmas tree is out front for the, with the garbage, stuff's getting put back in storage, like it's just, it's over. And the question changes from what do you want for Christmas, and it changes to what do you want in this new year? Have you guys felt that question? Have you been on social media lately? I mean, it seems like everyone is saying, hey, this is the thing that's going to help you this next year. This is the thing that's going to make your life better. 
And we have that question. It's on us. What do you want in 2019? Do you know what I want this year? I, more flip, I have flip-flops. I got lots of flip-flops. What I want in 2019, well, it's actually kind of, I want more. I want more. And what I mean by that, and I don't know why I'm this way. I've always been this way. And, and I definitely didn't ask to be this way. But I am just oriented towards anything that is fun, exciting, an adventure, an opportunity, possibilities with less constraints. Like I am drawn towards the fun. Like I am into it. And it's such a funny thing. And, you know, and I, don't, I don't know why this is that way. And it's, it's, it's funny. In my relationship with Michelle, my wife, we, I, am, I am all about what is fun. And she is all about what is easy. What is the path of least resistance? What's the most inexpensive way to go point A, point B, let's do it. And in our relationship, when fun and easy are aligned, it's great. But when fun and easy aren't, it's not. And I don't know, there's something about me, I always just want more. I want more adventure, more experiences, more excitement. That's probably why I became a youth pastor. I don't know. I just am been that way. And my wife thinks it's hilarious. My, literally, my middle name is Moore. I have a, true, I have a picture of my driver's license. You can see it. Now you know where I live too, so. All right. And this has also been one of my, kind of my defense mechanisms in my life as I've, as I've, as I live this life is, you know, when I bump into something that I don't know what to do with or something that hurts me or a situation where I can't figure out, I don't stay there. I just move on to something else that I want to do. And sometimes that's a healthy thing. Sometimes that drives me to exercise or drives me into prayer or drives me to talk to mentors or go to counseling. So, like sometimes that's a good thing. But other times it can, it can sometimes be an unhealthy thing. I'll be at the house and I'll start one project and then I'll move on to the second project and the third project and then I didn't finish the first project and Michelle's looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, get it together. Finish what you start. And don't raise your hand on this one because it's too embarrassing, but how many of us have sit da- sat down on the couch and we're like, we're just going to boot up Netflix and just, we're going to try a new show out. And we start the season one of the show, and episode one, we watch it like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'll watch episode two and episode three. Before we know it, it's three in the morning, right? And we just plowed through season one. It's this quest for more. Or maybe it's, you know, it's one glass of wine. It's two glasses of wine. Before I know it, I killed a bottle. Or when I go to In-N-Out, I can't just get the double-double and regular fries. I got to get the animal-style fries. Like, there's something about me. I want more. And the more I feed that appetite for more, the more it grows. Because whenever you feed an appetite, an appetite will grow. And as I feed it, and as I get more, it never really delivers that contentment, that peace, that it's, it's good, like that deep contentment that I so desperately long for. And some of you are out there thinking, you're like, I'm, just, I'm describing you right now, or I'm describing someone you're married to, or I'm describing one of your children, or some of you are out there thinking like, that's not me at all, and I don't want to hang out with you because that stresses me out, like that's not your thing, right? 
But all of us, no matter who you are, we all want more as we look into this new year. I mean, maybe for you, you look out at 2019 and you think, you know what I want more of? I want more peace in my family. We just got through the holidays. I want people to start getting along in my house, seriously. Like, I want less fighting, more communication, and more stability at home. I want more peace. I want better relationships. For some of us here today, we look out at 2019, and the more that we want is we want more opportunities in our career. We want 2019 to be the year where we move up, where our sales numbers improve. We want 2019 to be the year where our budget increases, not decreases. We want to be recognized for the contributions we make to our company. That's the more we want. Or for some of us, we just look out at 2019 and we just say, you know what the more I want in 2019? I want more safety. I want more security. I want our government to open again. I want the stock market to stabilize. I want to get out of debt. I want financial peace. I want security. I want things to be safe again. Or for you, and it's, it's on a lot of our minds, is in 2019, I want more health. I want more health. 2019, it's the year. I'm getting off the, car, off the carbs, off the couch, getting in shape. I'm gonna ha- I want to take less medication. I want to need less insulin. I want more health in this new year. We all want more. And the rub with wanting more is every good, these are, and these are all good things, right? These are all good circumstances that you and I want. They're good things. But they all should come with like a Surgeon General's warning. And it should, it should have like a little asterisk that says, subject to change. Because as soon as you get that good thing that you want, it changes. Like as soon as one of your kids are just doing great, like they're thriving, they're making friends, they're doing great in school, your other kid starts struggling. Or as soon as things are are going great at work, like you're improving, like you're being recognized, bonuses, like things are going well at work and your family life starts to unravel. Or you're paying off debt, you're cutting up credit cards, like stuff is getting squared away with your budget and then Murphy shows up and wrecks your emergency fund, right? Or everything is going great. Everyone's healthy, everyone's happy, And there's this like bracing effect, like when's the shoe going to drop? Like when's it going to change? When's the next bad thing going to happen? Because circumstances always change. They always do. And they don't deliver true, lasting contentment. And we know that, right? As we grow up, we learn that. The contentment we long for can't be found in a better circumstances because circumstances always change. It was so moving for me to sit over there at all of our gatherings to hear Brad share that number that we gave to that family who had been devastated by the fires. I mean, I just think that's amazing. We are, as Lakeside, as a church, we are a generous church. And I am so proud to be a part of this church. I I really think it's remarkable. Whenever the Twin Lakes Food Bank runs out of food, Brad will get up here and be like, all right, guys, Food banks out of food. Everyone goes shopping. And then the next weekend, we fill up the food bank. Happens every year. 
Or when the fires broke out, I, I would walk up from my office to the main office, and every day I would walk into the office, somebody was dropping off blankets, clothes, diapers, water, something to be shared with the fire victims. We had kids starting hot cocoa stands, raising thousands of dollars to just be given away. I mean, we are a generous church. I think we have it in spades. We are so good at that. But I wonder, are we a content church? Are we a church marked with contentment? Are you a content person? Is your family marked with contentment? Am I a content person? Do we have contentment? I mean, do we even really know what it is? I mean, what is contentment? I mean, I mean, it, does contentment mean I just sort of adopt this, you know, whatever happens, happens attitude? I stop trying, I stop pressing, I stop challenging, I stop trying to move forward, I just sort of settle? Is, is that contentment? Is that what it is? I mean, and, and then if, what is it? But how do you even really get it? in 2019. Like, how do you do that? I mean, I have social media just like you. I'm reminded every day of things I don't have, the fun other people are having that I'm not having. You watch these pictures and you see these pictures of these families and they look so happy and you think, why can't my family be happy like them? What is it? What is contentment? How do we get it? One of the people in the Bible that I think has so much to say about this subject is the Apostle Paul. And um, he's an amazing man. He had a lot to say about contentment, a lot of good teachings on it. But the most important thing about Paul is he provided this incredible example of what it means to live and have contentment. But Paul wasn't always that way. In fact, before Paul met Jesus, he was a very different man. Uh, he was very different before Jesus. In fact, I think in Paul's world, the world that he lived in, the world was black and white. There were people who agreed with him, and they were the right people. And the people who didn't agree with him, they were the wrong people. He was a man obsessed with his nation, his religion, and quite frankly, himself. And what he wanted to do, his mission in life was to dominate and destroy his enemies. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, but Saul, and Saul was his Jewish name, Paul is his Roman name. It says, but Saul began to destroy the church. And this is how he did it. He would go from house to house and he would drag off both men and women and put them in prison. I mean, this guy was a ruthless dude, savage, leading an armed group of people. He would go door to door around Jerusalem. If you claimed Christ, he would come into your house, take you by force, throw you in prison. Didn't matter if you had kids, didn't matter if you had dependents. He was so consumed with his own sense of the world is this way and he's right and he's going to impose this view on others, that it was just, it drove him to do this. And he wasn't content just to stay in Jerusalem and do it. He had to actually take this violence on the road. And so the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, that Saul still breathing out murderous threats. Look at that language, murderous threats against the Lord's 
disciples. He goes to the leadership in Jerusalem and he actually secures letters that gives him permission to go out to various cities and find any Christian, anybody claiming Christ, man, woman, old, young, doesn't matter. Take them from their house, put them in chains, bring them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial. This was a bad guy. Very, very troubled. And many of you know the story in Acts chapter 9. As he's on the road to commit these violent acts against people, as he's on the way to do it, Jesus shows up. And literally and figuratively knocks him off his high horse. And so radically transforms him. In fact, I can't even overstate how much Jesus transformed this man. And later on in the chapter, it says that Jesus says about Paul that this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim, to proclaim my name. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And in Paul's story, he would go on to... So the irony of Paul's life is unbelievable. This man who was the principal persecutor of the church would be transformed into the great church planter. And he would go on to preach the gospel, plant churches, travel the world, and suffer immensely for it. And this man who in this time was throwing people in prison for following Jesus, would actually find himself in prison for the cause of Christ. And the letter I want to share with you guys today is the letter of Philippians chapter 4. And this letter is so powerful because it's a, one of the last letters that Paul wrote. It's a letter where we are pretty sure he was in a Roman jail cell as he was literally writing this, this document. And what's so amazing is that when you read the book of Philippians, it is full of hope. It is full of faith. It is full of this idea that Christ is supreme and we can depend on him. And it was written by a man who was literally in a dark place. And I just think that's so important to remember as, as we read these words. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. This is what it says. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. When we read these words, I am... Working with students, I've been working with students for quite some time now, and I get a lot of time to spend with middle school students as well as high school students, and particularly teenage boys. And I have a lot of empathy for teenage boys because I was a teenage boy. I said the dumb stuff. I did the dumb stuff. Like, I, I get it. And, but there's always this moment with a teenager when you are close to them. If you had teenagers, you know this, where they, they kind of tell you how the world is. Have you heard this? Like, I kind of look at you like mom and dad or, or youth pastor. Like, let me tell you how the world, how, this is how the world is. 
And in my mind, I'm like, dude, you can't even shave. You don't, you don't have a driver's license. Like, you don't, you've never had a job in your life. Like, don't tell me how the world is, right? I think it's so important as we read these words to remember that the Apostle Paul is not an adolescent. He's not naive. He's not young. The Apostle Paul is a seasoned veteran. And he has the scars to prove it. He's a man who has been around the block a time or two. Elsewhere in his letters, he itemizes out all the ways that he has suffered for Christ, and it's staggering. As he's writing this letter, he lived with the constant fear that at any moment, a guard could come to his jail cell, take him out back, and cut his head off. He was a man who absolutely knew what it was like to live in want and to suffer and to be in some of the worst circumstances. So we need to resist the temptation to think, hey, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about, because he does. He was way too authentic, way too serious of a person to just blow smoke. These aren't haphazard words. These are very important, serious words for us to take seriously. And look what he says. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I've learned a secret. I've learned it. I didn't buy the secret no one gave it to me. I've, I've, over time, I have learned the secret. And that Greek word that he uses for learn, you could actually translate it as like an initiation. Like he's almost like the idea he's saying here, he's like, I have been initiated into this secret. I have come in to this new way of seeing the world. That, per- that perks our interest. Paul, what is the secret? What is it? We all want it. We all want contentment. I just, I just talked to you guys about Netflix and In-N-Out Burger and how I want contentment. You want contentment. Like, what is the secret? He tells us in the next verse. He says, this is the secret. I can do all of this, all of this, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this. I can face all of these circumstances through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. For Paul, contentment is all about Jesus. The secret of contentment is that it is about a person, not a circumstance. Contentment is about a person, not a circumstance. We live in a world where everyone around us People don't just say this to us directly, but we feel it all the time that it gets pushed on us that, you know what, this will make you content, this new thing, or this new product, or this new career track, or this kind of vacation, or this kind of kitchen, or whatever. This will make you content. This circumstance will help you be content. And Paul looks at that and says, no, you don't know the secret. You know what the secret is? Contentment is about a person, not a circumstance. 
whenever we talk about contentment, another question comes up, the, the question of like, how much is enough? Like how much money do we need? How much money do you need? How much success in your career do you need? How fat does your 401k need to be? Like how much is enough? How much is enough? And Paul would look at that and say, you know what, that's kind of the wrong question. It's not how much is enough, it's who's enough. It's who's enough. Contentment is about a person, not a circumstance, specifically the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's what Paul says the secret is. I struggle with contentment. I just spent the first half of the message talking about that. And um, if I had longer, I could tell you about all the other ways I struggle with um, being content. But one of the things that I'm wanting to do, and I'm not a New Year's resolution guy. Some of you guys are, some of you guys aren't. But this is it's probably the closest I'm getting to a New Year's resolution this year. This is a prayer that I want to be praying this year. And I give it to you as something that maybe you want to start praying with me. And this is the prayer. I want to start praying this year to Jesus, saying, Jesus, show me that you are enough. I read these words of Paul. I trust him. I believe him. And I want you, Jesus, to show me that you are enough for me in my life. Show me that you're enough in my parenting. Maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you're single and you're hoping to get married this year and you're not sure what to do that. Or maybe you're looking for a job or maybe one of your kids are struggling. Whatever situation you're facing, Jesus, show me that you're enough. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Jesus is enough. The secret is not something we buy. It's not a magic trick. It's not something you just add water and then you have contentment. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a discovery. It's a commitment. It's a choice. It's, it's choosing to say, Jesus, I want you to show me how radically sufficient you are for me. One of the disciplines that I need to do, because I kind of have monkey brain, I... Uh, constantly on the go, what's happening, like, let's do this, let's go out, let's, you know, and the discipline for me that's so important as I pursue contentment and pursue this idea that Jesus is enough is in this new year, being more than I do. Focusing on being and not just doing more is so important. Taking God seriously that it's actually more important that I talk to God about the people and circumstances that I'm struggling with than me trying to just manage outcomes or manage people and the circumstances. Contentment's about a person, not a circumstance. Paul closes the letter with this. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I believe Paul. I believe that he's right. I believe that Christ is sufficient for you and I, and that this secret is something that you and I can actually learn in this new year. And may we learn it. 
May we discover it. May we pray this prayer. May we learn that it's about being with him and not just trying to do and fix and solve and manage. May we discover that. Will you pray with me? Father God, this is a hard thing for us. This is hard for me. I, I don't know how to make myself content, but I trust you that you're enough. I trust you that you are sufficient for me. You are sufficient for us. That there's no circumstance we could face where you will be lacking for us. God, help us. Help our, my friends here. May we just find you in this new year. May we find how radically sufficient you are and how that you are enough for us. Lord, may we discover your good contentment that you want to give us. In your name we pray, amen.